uh, 0.4%. And here in Hong Kong, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 150 points lower in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil trading at $54.93 a barrel. And gold, that's right now at... Um, $1,566 an ounce. And in the currency markets, the uh, the US dollar's at 110 against the Japanese yen. That's it from me this week. Do have a great weekend. Do please stay safe. And please join me once again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Update on the weather forecast. Mainly cloudy, light rain at first. Visibility is going to be relatively low. Sunny intervals in the afternoon and a maximum temperature of about 20 degrees. And the outlook is going to stay cool in the morning, sunny periods during the day and over the weekend into early next week. The temperature right now, it's 18 degrees and it's 84% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. Mainland health officials have confirmed the death of Dr. Li Wenliang, who was one of the first to raise concerns about the coronavirus outbreak before contracting the infection himself. He was hailed as a hero after authorities accused him of rumour-mongering. Alex Price has more. There were conflicting reports early this morning, with state media first saying Dr. Lee had died, then saying he was still on life support. It's believed officials had intervened at the hospital and also instructed official media to change their stories. The Wuhan Central Hospital later confirmed his death. Dr. Lee was working as an ophthalmologist in Wuhan when he observed patients with symptoms similar to those of the SARS outbreak in 2002 and 2003. He messaged a warning to several colleagues to take precautions, but four days later, they were summoned to the Public Security Bureau for rumour-mongering. Dr. Lee said he was forced to admit to making false comments that had severely disturbed the social order. Local authorities eventually apologised. Dr. Lee later contracted the disease while treating a patient and was hailed as a hero by Chinese internet users. At least 630 people have now died in China of the respiratory disease, mostly in and around Wuhan, where the outbreak started in December. It's now more than two weeks since the central city was locked down, but infections and deaths there are still climbing rapidly. And this woman in Wuhan told the BBC she doesn't believe the official figures. Of course, the figures are not correct. People who died at home are cremated immediately. And those deaths are not being counted in the statistics. And there are also people who die in hospital who have not been tested, so they are not counted either. The World Health Organization says it still doesn't know the source of the new coronavirus or its natural reservoir and doesn't fully understand how it's transmitted. Here's its Director General, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. We don't know the source of the outbreak and we don't properly understand its transmissibility or severity. To defeat this outbreak, we need answers to all those questions. And there are tools we don't have. We have no vaccine to prevent infections and no therapeutics to treat them. To put it bluntly, we're shadow boxing. We need to bring this virus out into the light so we can attack it properly. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chibbert and your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. And we're focusing today principally on transport and education arrangements, all aimed at controlling the spread of the coronavirus uh, in Hong Kong. There's a lot of ground to, to cover. So if you want to uh, leave a message, ask a question or make a comment, uh, please use our Facebook page. That's Bank Chat and RTHK Radio 3 or call us. And our telephone number is 233 or you can send us an email. And of course, our address is backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. And we'll do our best to, le- to read out your messages. Joining us uh, for the first part of the program, we have with us now Hung Wing Tat, a fellow of the Hong Kong Society for Transportation Studies, fellow of the Transfer Institute of Logistics and Transport, a transport expert, and also Professor Gordon Matthews, Professor of Anthropology at the uh, Chinese University. And uh, we'll be focusing more on. Uh, uh, further on the education angle as Mervyn Chung joins us after the news at nine o'clock. Once again, if you want to contribute, uh, please email backchat at rthk.hk. We'll, we'll try and uh, focus a little bit later perhaps on the on the education uh, issue. But uh, some, of the, uh, some of the comments that have come in between programmes. First of all, this from Maxine, who says, Dear Backchat, while I understand the concerns of health workers, if this were America and if people died because of the hospital authority workers' strike, I bet someone would organise a class action lawsuit against the Hospital Authority Employees Alliance, their supporters and any striking workers for manslaughter because the deaths were caused by their action and were foreseeable. That comes uh, from Maxine. Uh, And just a note, we did hear from uh, uh, Regina Yep uh, earlier today saying that uh, some people are uh, trying to... Uh, institute legal action uh, against the uh, alliance because they're stri- saying the strike is illegal uh, because it's not concerned with um, with work. Uh, and uh, Doreen says, where do the masks striking hospital workers wear come from? If the masks are from the HA, then I think the HA should not allow these striking workers to have them and instead tell them to buy their own. Why should we allow these people who are adding strain to an already strained system to deplete the dwindling supply that's needed for bona fide patients? Besides, without masks, the calls from striking workers can be more clearly heard. And why doesn't someone post a list of all striking workers? After all, doctors and nurses who did not strike were doxxed to pressure them to join their colleagues, and that does not help things. But it's in the public's interest to know whose strike actions are hampering the local health system and putting members of the public at risk. While I reel from proposals that the HA not punish striking workers with an online wall of shame listing the names of all striking workers, their positions and their assigned units, the HA need not punish the strikers. History and the public will. That comes from Doreen. And uh, finally, Martin says, Hong Kong citizens believing in rumours, queuing in the thousands, panic buying, emptying shelves, fighting over toilet paper like there's no tomorrow. Remember when mainlanders came to buy milk powder in bulk and Hong Kong people were looking down on them. Hong Kongers are not that different and not that special in the end. But if the HA Employees Alliance gets its way, expanding its political strike to the transport sector and all borders to mainland are completely shut, you better stock up on more than just toilet paper. That comes from Martin. We've also received a couple of emails referring to the uh, death of uh, Dr. Li Wenliang, the um, 
Chinese doctor who's widely known as the coronavirus whistleblower, who, of course, has just died aged 34, although there's been uh, some varying reports about his death and a lot of discussion on social media in, in China about uh, the case of Dr. Dr. Lee. Um, Boeing writing about Dr. Lee says the, <coughs> the sad story of the late Dr. Li Wenliang, the Chinese ophthalmologist who first warned of a SARS-like disease in the Wuhan area and was detained by the local public security bureau, according to law, for fanning rumours before being made to sign a document saying he had committed illegal acts. Bone says this highlights two things. First, the inability of the traditional totalitarian mechanism of government in China to cope with modern circumstances. Second, the misapprehension and abuse of the concept of law in the mainland. The Supreme People's Court subsequently rebuked the police for punishing Dr. Lee and his colleagues. But the value of that is merely nominal because it does not address, let alone put right, the dominance of the politico-bureaucratic apparatus over professional expertise and the practice of legitimising sloppy executive decisions by disguising them under the pretext of the law. We in Hong Kong would be amused by the warnings issued by the authorities in Wuhan after the detention of Dr. Lee. This warning saying that the police call on all netizens to not fabricate rumours, not spread rumours and not believe rumours. And that the authorities encourage web users to jointly build a harmonious, clear and bright cyberspace. Now, come to think of it, haven't we been bombarded with messages like those across the airways lately? Thank you very much, Boeing. Uh, in a more general email, uh, Drake talking both about the uh, case of Dr. Lee, but also responding to a number of um, other backchat um, um, listeners who have been emailing in, including Doring, who you heard just now. Uh, Drake says, Immigration Department statistics on passenger traffic. 6,041 plus 2,378 mainlanders entered Hong Kong through the airport and Shenzhen Bay control points, respectively, on February the 5th. Meanwhile, we welcome Case 23 and Case 24, both without any travel history, to the family of local infection by some mysterious carriers. Doreen loves calling the medical staff on strike political bigots. How would she equivocate Carrie Lam's bigotry and refusal to heed top CHP experts' advice to close the border days before we had the avoidable local outbreak? How did allowing symptomless carriers to enter the city align with patients and hospital staff's welfare while claiming the strike would only jeopardise it? 25, sorry, 27 cities on the mainland have closed their borders in view of containing the spread of the, no the novel virus. How would Peter compare that with his daily Hong Kong-exclusive xenophobic conspiracy tirade? More countries are enlisted to cut flights to Hong Kong. How does it feel to have the world shutting their borders against us? The whistleblown Wuhan doctor, who was initially arrested for fake, spreading fake news, died of the novel virus last night, age 33, leaving behind his wife and five-year-old child. How is Andrew going to defend this kind of social stability, which he had desired for today? Yes, let's hear them. Thank you very much indeed, Drake. OK, uh, now let's go to our guests. Um, as we mentioned, we have uh, both uh, Hung Wing Tat, Hung Tat, a fellow of the Hong Kong Society for Transportation Studies and fellow of the uh, Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport, and uh, Professor Gordon Matthews, Professor of Anthropology at Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, Professor Matthews, let's go to you first. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how are you? OK. 
Yeah. Now, how would you, let's talk more generally about sort of the situation in Hong Kong and how, how you assess it at this, at this stage. I mean, often when you start to, um, disease outbreaks get more serious, you start to talk about the possibility of a breakdown of, of social order and normal social norms. And when we see people, I, I saw huge queues outside welcome as I was coming into the studio this morning and even opened. You see people rushing to buy toilet paper and, um, uh, all, all kinds of things. You, you, you do wonder if we're heading in that direction, don't you? Well, yes, yes, you do. And what's happened is not simply the coming of an epidemic, but also the loss of credibility of the government, which happened uh, last fall, as we all know. And so both of these things are coming together here with the government having no credibility and people believing rumors because of that lack of credibility, which it makes for a, a really intensely negative situation, the situation we're in now. We, we like to think of Hong Kong as an orderly society, and, and we should note, of course, it is still true, even in these massive queues for masks earlier this week, pe the fact is they were queues. People were queuing yes, up, and people, people, who, try, people yeah. who tried to jump the queue were pretty quickly stopped. Exactly. They're not, you know, pulling out knives and robbing each other. They are indeed in line, patiently waiting. So people being in line, being in queues is, oh, a bit silly, it seems to me, especially because many of these uh, materials are available in, in other stores. Uh, chunking Mansions, go to Chunking Mansions. You can buy masks there. <laughs> but you're going to find a run on them after this program. Maybe, maybe so, maybe so. <laughs> but having said that, uh, the queues are indeed orderly, and uh, Hong Kong social order is not under threat, I, I think. I mean, you know, I'll be the last person to criticise the media or whatever, but when you see photographs on the front pages of completely empty shelves in shops um that doesn't reflect the reality does it i mean you'd have to to be especially honest especially as often the next shelf is actually uh, if exactly. you look at the photo quite carefully the next shelf actually is normally stocked yeah but you know that that's how you get panic, isn't it? When you yeah. start spreading kind of extreme but it's not That's like not that. the media. That's the social media. I mean, most well, of those, the more extreme pictures the, what are I have in mind social is, media. Yes. What I have in mind is, is media as well, yeah. as well as yeah. the mainstream media. Well, and then another case is the number of deaths in Hong Kong is comparatively low. We're looking at, at, well, it's a, at a rather one. low It's thing. one, isn't it, so far? Yes. I mean, uh, yes. it's one, yes. And, and indeed, the confirmed cases are quite low. It's in the 20s. So it, it does seem to be panicky. And one statistic that comforts me anyway is that it looks like, despite the tragic death of the doctor in China, that you do have a mortality rate of maybe 2%, maybe 3%. Well, in a regular flu season, you have a mortality rate of 1%. So it's not as if, you know, we're facing the bubonic plague or the Ebola virus. Actually, there's a, there's a lot of suggestion that outside Wuhan, or outside Wuhan, the mortality rate is probably less than 1%. It's the, um, it's the higher mortality rate in Wuhan that's bumped up the overall statistic to 2%. Absolutely. And then ordinary citizens need to remember that the flu the typical standard flu has a mortality rate of one okay so we remember all that but then the fact is people don't and frankly speaking even i don't don't think that way myself at the moment do we we don't think that way when it's it's uh, i mean there's a cover story in the economist it's uh, the it's the a new virus it's the fear of the unknown sure. isn't it and we don't know how this can mutate which is what scares us all you're absolutely right this could become incredibly mortal but at this point it's not but you're absolutely right it's because we don't know okay. so and, what, and of course in sars 300 people died uh, in Hong Kong. That was on a whole nother level, wasn't it? Uh, okay, well, uh, Hong Wing Tak, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining us again um, this morning. So, the, that uh, closure, practically closing the, uh, the barrier, the, the, the borders is going to come into effect uh, at midnight uh, tonight. Uh, what's, what's your reading of that? What, what effect is it going to have? What effect? 
I think they, they uh, would stop people, especially short-stay travelers, to come to Hong Kong. Um, I think people, if, if it is a, a compulsory quarantine for 14 days, nobody would have the right mind to come if you're just doing a daily business. So it would stop that group of people. But then we have to bear in mind that um, uh, Kerry Lam has already mentioned that um, we have a really big group of Hong Kong, Hong Kongers, Hong Kong people actually have families over some junk. Now, according to the planning department's um, previous survey, they found that about half a million of people stay across the boundary. I mean, Hong Kong people stay across the boundary for an uh, overdue long time. It, the indication would be that um, I think we are talking about hundreds of thousands of families actually have people, uh, have the family maybe in Samjian and then come back to Hong Kong to work. So all these people, um, they would have to think of the way how to cater with the closing of the border. Um, and that is the most difficult part at the moment. Okay, there's a question on our Facebook page for Karuna asks, um, any impact on cross-border movement of goods by trucks and ferry and international cargo, air freight and um, sea freight out of Hong Kong? And then Karuna goes on to say that um, a number of companies saying there should be uh, no impact on cross-border good, goods transportation. Um, Hung Wing Tech, what's your understanding of the effect well, the, the on the moving daily, goods? The, the normal daily traffic, uh, there are about 9,000. Uh, goods vehicles crossing the border every single day. Uh, I don't think those would be affected. We are talking about uh, you know, thousands. We are not talking about millions. Uh, so for these thousands, uh, maybe we have to deal with all these drivers, actually all the logistics uh, people who work to make the city actually running. Those are most vulnerable one and if they, if they have um, contracted this uh, virus they would be the most effective carrier so the, the next thing that the government should actually do is to try to apart from the medical staff these are the staff that they have to protect and give them full support full gear to work uh, because they contact most people when they're traveling Unavoidably across the boundary every day. Does, does most? How does the amount of food uh, bought in by uh, road compare with with other sources? Rail, uh, ports, well, I, the airports. I would think eighty to ninety percent, because um, we have at the moment closing all the um, borders except this road and the aircraft. Okay, then the airports. Airports usually would trans transport the um, uh, food that would expire very rapidly. So they would have to be in time. But those proportions, uh, I guess, would be less than 20%, 10 to 20% are those proportions. Majority of them would be full-based. Um, but most road crossings are closed. I mean, as far as I understand, I mean, was it Mankamto uh, normally is one of the main crossings for yes, I said goods? It, it, the 
normal traffic of um, lorries would be about 9,000 per day. I mean, one crossing would quite easily uh, come on day, I would say, 100,000 vehicles per day. So 9,000 would not be a, an issue. Is this uh, why I, the government... I mean, even even 9,000, uh, talking about all the normal day, I would guess it, it would be around three, 4,000 at the most. Um, for this transportation of food, if you're just talking about food and uh, necessities. But then what I'm talking about is the normal business. You know, you still export things, you still uh, import, export, and all these other goods across the boundaries. And those would be reduced, I, would, I, would, I suppose. Is this why the government has been quite careful in keeping the, those two border crossings open, the Shenzhen Bay and then the Hong Kong-Macau-Juhai Bridge? Of course, may, many, many people in Hong Kong criticise them for keeping uh, any border crossings open, but by keeping those two border crossings open, they still provide two road routes for bringing goods in and out of Hong Kong. Well, what the government does actually is keeping all the linkages, nothing cut. I mean, we have the... Our Across the Pearl River Delta, we link to some channeling the Zhuhai link to Macau. Uh, those, uh, we still have the linkage, the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge and also the Western Samjian uh, crossing. So all these Pearl River Delta linkage, we still maintain one. So there's nothing cut across the, uh, the Pearl River Delta. For the air, airport, of course, we have to go outside. I mean, nobody would imagine cutting the airport, okay? Everybody still wants to go abroad. Well, you can okay? cut the or, airport to China, can't you? You could cut... There are now very few flights to China from the airport. I think there's just a, a couple of days to Beijing, Shanghai. You could cut those. Yeah, you can cut those. All, all people traveling from China, but then you impose a 14 days quarantine period. It is very, if it is effectively implemented, I think you would crush the uh, whole low to the minimum. Are the ferries to Macau uh, stopped? Uh, I think all the, all the um, sea transport, all the marine transport, uh, I gather, it's all closed. Okay, um, because uh, also the when the government announced those measures about, you know, quarantining people who've arrived from, from the mainland, it's all about the mainland. It doesn't actually mention Macau you assume, because there's free uh, transit between Macau and the mainland, presumably it would apply to Macau. Hong Kong residents as well, that's just what they announced. So anyone crossing the border uh, okay. after midnight tonight would be quarantined for 14 days, either at home, either at the hotel, either at places the government designated. Okay, whoever they are, wherever they come from. Okay, so uh, here's an email from uh, Tomas who says, Dear Bank Chat, as for transportation matters, containers and packaging can probably also carry the virus for a few days. Is this considered on the transportation chain and in retail business? Some may consider the risk of contamination and infection via packaging to be small, but did the Wuhan virus not start small? That comes from Tomas. Uh, you have any thoughts on that, Hong Wing Tat? Well, any goods, any objects, they... If there's viruses, they will stay on the surface. So it's just, a, uh, as I said, all the logistic workers, they have to be protected. Uh, governments should support them with full gear, with gloves, with uh, 
send it to whatever they they can have to protect themselves when, when working on it. So it's just not only the person, it's also the uh, stuff that they handle. Uh, Professor Matthews, any thoughts on that? Are we going to get to a point where we're worried to touch anything that's coming into our homes? <laughs> I certainly hope not. Uh, I am simply a lay person here uh, listening. I know, yes, but we were all lay people, aren't we? So let's just yeah. think about how we, we, we like to react in these situations. Yes, I personally worry less than most people. Uh, I'm not even wearing a mask most days except when I get in mass transit. So I can't say a lot of our own characters come out in this, and I probably am not cautious enough, and many more people are very, very excessively cautious. So it's very tough to say. We see our own true characters when we see how we're faced with this. What, what, uh, what about the true character of Hong Kong? Do you find that there is uh, xenophobia? That's a, a, a common complaint that there is. This is really laying bare uh, discrimination against the, mainlanders. Not, not, sure. a, not in my backyard attitude we've seen in so many areas. Absolutely, and this is uh, an extension from what we saw last fall. Um, I, I uh, wrote an article last fall about how the new ethnic other in Hong Kong is no longer Africans or South Asians, it's mainland Chinese. And now we're seeing that. We are indeed seeing xenophobia, and it's deeply unfortunate that we are seeing this. But it is perhaps, in a sense, slightly more understandable than it was last year because people will have a genuine fear. I mean, when the government is saying that anyone, potentially anyone who's been in China, is a possible health risk, you can, can you understand people reacting that way? True. Sure I can. And, you know, to be honest with you, when I'm on campus and I hear somebody speaking Putonghua, I tend to stay uh, a, several, a number of meters away. So, yes, I, too, am practicing this prejudice. And it's the same kind of prejudice you might see, for example, in the U.S. If it's late at night and a black person is walking 100 yards behind you, are you more likely to be nervous than you would be if it's a white person? That's still racism. It's still xenophobia. But there is a kernel of reason to feel that way. Hong Wing Tanit, how about the transportation network inside Hong Kong? I mean, we you now hear alarmist predictions that 20% or so of well, Hong Kong's population... Yeah, you know, people still have to leave. Although the government uh, wants to cut back all these uh, mass movements, but then people still have to go to work. Um, the mass transit is still working, and... All this uh, still warning. But what so, happens if the mass transit workers start getting quarantined? Um, you have more cases of quarantine and even disease. How, how do you so keep it? I think it? they're exempted. Uh, all those um, logistic workers, I think they, they have to keep the city running. Otherwise, we have no food and nothing. So those people, as I said, they have to be, uh, apart from the medical staff, they have to be protected, and then if they have to be closely monitored. If anybody really got symptoms, they have to be quarantined, put away immediately, because they, they're just like butterflies, and no bees, they, they can spread very quickly through the entire Hong Kong, they're wandering uh, everywhere. So that is what the government has to do. Apart from these workers, I think, also, I would, I would imagine um, people may still go out to eat. So those workers who working in these uh, restaurants, um, you know, they, they also be very vulnerable and uh, a very effective carrier. They, they contract these viruses. But the government... So the thing that the government has to think it over and really have to work on it. 
the government can't provide enough face masks for them. I mean, we don't know how many face masks the MTR has and the bus companies have left, but it's reasonable to assume they're facing the same, the same problems as almost everyone else in Hong Kong. Well, according to my limited knowledge, I think without the mask, you can still keep a good um, protective measure, like uh, keeping a distance uh, with each other when you talk to each other. All right, so uh, a lot of those measures, you don't really need a mask. Washing your hand, don't touch, don't touch the surfaces, any surfaces, and touch your mouth and nose and all this sort of thing. I think the medical uh, team can work a lot more on, on this uh, basic knowledge. And people, uh, not, I mean, it's full peer type of wrapping face mask. I don't, I, 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 I I'm living in Saikung, I don't wear a mask at all. I mean, uh, you, you know that how, they, how this uh, virus is be contracted. You basically uh, avoid it. Would you wear one on the MTR, though? There's no, there's no MTR in Saikung. I, I, have, I have to wear the mask in the MTR. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's some uh, thoughts from listeners just to end this section of the program. Uh, S says a message to Maxine, etc. All of you are very quick to compare what would happen in America. However, I may say in such countries, action would be taken to prevent such situations. The government of such countries would listen to the concerns of medical doctors. As a comparison, Dr. Lee's situation in Wuhan would not arise uh, in these countries. Uh, but Peter says, this is a, a couple responding now to Drake's comments. Peter says, Drake, could you get your facts straight with arrival numbers or at least let them all not just mainland Chinese arriving. There are also foreigners and Hong Kongers arriving. For instance, on the 1st of February, 13,000 uh, mainland Chinese versus 115,000 Hong Kong people entered the city. Let's put Drake in charge of crisis management saving the city. That comes uh, from Peter. And Andrew F. says, since Drake asked me a question, I'm happy to answer it. I can't condone the treatment of Dr. Lee by the Chinese authorities. I condemn it unequivocally. It's a straw man argument because unlike some people commenting who are purely partisan, I'm able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Incredible, I know that seems. I can condemn the way Winnie the Pooh silences dissent and treats minorities in Xinjiang and Tibet, while also condemning local radical protesters who petrol bomb MTRs and beat people who question them unconscious. In this new Hong Kong, when you have to be blue or yellow, I am green. Uh, as the famous uh, political surge Kermit the Frog once put it, it ain't easy being green. That comes from uh, Andrew F. If you've got a comment, drop us a line, bankchat at rthk.hk. We're going to uh, say goodbye for the moment to uh, Hung Wing Tat. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, the weather, mainly cloudy. The light rain at first today and uh, temperatures up to about 20 degrees today. Cool in the morning, sunny periods over the weekend. 18 degrees now, humidity is at 84%. <laughs> from March the 19th to the 21st. Organisers said they had explored every other possible option before deciding on cancellation due to the rapid spread of the virus. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Friday morning, last one of the week, with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Tewitton, talking about uh, aspects, especially we want to focus today on transport and uh, education aspects uh, connected to the uh, outbreak of the coronavirus uh, in Hong Kong. Have you got any thoughts, questions, or comments? Please share them with Hong Kong by emailing backchat at rthk.hk and we'll do our best to read out your comments uh, or calling us on 233-88266. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can comment on our Facebook page as well. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3 uh, where there is a little uh, dialogue back and forth going on. This is from uh, Tom. 
who uh, was the subject of uh, an email yesterday from uh, Matthew. Uh, was it an email or was it a phone call? Anyway, uh, Tom said, uh, great to see the topic today of the details of how to deal with the crisis in the transport and education sectors. Yesterday, I brought up the topic of how the medical system is preparing to deal with the expected wave of infected people in coming weeks and months. And we'd love to hear answers to that. I do find most of the opposition slogans and demands are quite simplistic and of an all or nothing nature. But the actual work that needs to get done to keep Hong Kong functioning is, of course, very complicated. Tom says, I'm honoured that the last comment read on air yesterday happened to be about me. While I would never have imagined a few years ago when everyone was busy posting lunch photos on social media that in 2020 promoting peaceful global cooperation would attract such vocal hostility. That comes uh, from Tom. And an email from uh, Jason on the issue of um, education arrangements, which we'll be moving on to in this this half of the programme, entitled Contingency Plans Related to Education in the Face of the Coronavirus. Uh, uh, Jason says, I want to applaud the EDB efforts in announcing contingency measures early so that different stakeholders, including school heads, teachers, parents and students, have a rough idea what changes will be made to the public HKDSE exam and daily teaching and learning at the school level. They can then plan accordingly. The two proposals regarding the rescheduling of the HKDSE written exams make perfect sense, given the uncertainty surrounding the virus situation. People's health should be the first priority now. Which proposal will finally be adopted in late February really depends on circumstances at that time. One of the proposals announced yesterday involves the potential cancellation of the Chinese and English speaking exams. That should not be an issue. Instead of assigning scores in the speaking exams, the Hong Kong Examination of uh, Authority can probably give candidates assessed scores based on students' performances in the school-based assessments. Back in 2009, when H1N1 hit Hong Kong, Candidates taking the speaking exams were required to sit further apart than usual in the exam room to prevent the spread of virus. Yet given the high transmission rate of the coronavirus, it might be best to do away with the speaking exams altogether if necessary. As for the effectiveness of e-learning, perhaps it's time to test it. EDB did suggest some useful platforms and resources teachers and students could utilise for teaching and learning and students should take responsibility for and ownership of their studies. Thank you very much, um, uh, Jason. Um, on that topic, we're now joined uh, by Mervyn Chung. Mervyn Chung, uh, Hong Kong for, um, of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. And, of course, we still have with us uh, Professor Gordon Matthews from Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, Mervyn Chung, uh, good morning. Okay, so this is a, a rapid... Well, what, what do you think, first of all, of our, our comments from our listener about uh, the government's arrangements for the HKDSE exams? Yeah, I agree with, uh, with, the, with the audience uh, regarding um, the contingency measures, uh, contingency of precautionary measures proposed by the uh, Education Bureau and also the, the uh, examinations and assessments of the HKEA uh, yesterday. Uh, because uh, considering the... Um, changing nature of the lawful coronavirus infections in, in our community, I think um, the, the contingent uh, class suspension and DSE examination administrative plans uh, should be supported. <laughs> and of course, uh, some people may argue that uh, why should the education authorities not be decisive uh, you know, on, on the choice of a certain plan so that the students can better schedule their preparation? But uh, since the, um, the virus situation is still fluid and changing uh, 
uh, almost every day. Uh, in my opinion, it's not wise or practicable to be decisive at this stage in a selection of a ministry plan for a DSE examination. How about um, children taking uh, overseas exams, IB, and things like IB have become much more popular in, in recent years, and that's much more difficult because it's not just a Hong Kong exam, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that, that's correct. But uh, I think uh, in terms of um, a public examination, we still need to consider the major body uh, of our, our student community, uh, that is uh, those who are taking the DSE. Uh, DSA, uh, a Diploma of Secondary uh, Education Examination uh, because uh, they provide the, um, the, the, uh, the admissions to uh, all the publicly funded universities in Hong Kong. And those who, who choose to uh, go into universities uh, uh, both locally or overseas uh, through an alternative mode such as the IB uh, curriculum uh, basically forms a relative uh, you know, a minority. And of course, uh, in terms of the university admissions, um, I think Hong Kong universities uh, are of a tighter schedule. Now, uh, you, you look at uh, uh, institutions elsewhere, in Australia, for instance, universities normally start their uh, undergraduate curriculum uh, in, in the, uh, early in the following year. Um, and, and the same may, may also be applicable to, to, to the states, uh, uh, to U, U.S. institutions. It's not true of U.K., which is the most popular destination yeah, yeah, for UK Hong Kong is, people. Yeah, uh, uh, I think uh, is a, a consideration. And, uh, but uh, if uh, we, we, we may not be able to get the public examination uh, results in time, you know, for, the, for, for our students uh, opting to go, uh, go to U.K. for the study, uh, Maybe the, the, the school, uh, the performance in, in, in their own schools uh, probably can provide consideration. Uh, well, I think uh, this factor is, taking in, uh, is being taken into increasing consideration by the overseas universities, that is the, the school-based performance. Okay, let's switch to the other issue that arises in relation to education and the virus outbreak, which is um, shifting to online learning. And I should mention, um, of course, I, I, I work at Hong Kong Youth Space, where we are shifting very heavily yes. into online, online learning. And maybe we bring, bring in Professor Gordon Matthews here again. As from what I understand, Professor Matthews, you, you've, you've all been ordered to use online learning at Chinese U as well, right? Yes, we have. And how is that working out? I was quite skeptical at first because uh, we're asked to use Zoom, and when I've used Zoom in the past, it doesn't work very well. However, to CUHK's credit, it's invested an awful lot of money in this. We are uh, using top-of-the-line uh, uh, platform, and it works awfully well. I was at a meeting with 90 people, and it was conducted in a perfectly good way. So I'm, I'm impressed, and I'm optimistic cautiously optimistic that classes might work pretty well this way. Is it, is it kind of live then? Are you, you know, you're doing things in real time? Yes, we're doing it in real time. We're not simply recording lectures. Mm. Well, we are recording lectures, but the class is in real time. Class times will be the same as they were before the outbreak, uh, so that yeah. we will actually be dealing with students in a live way, in that sense. Yeah, that's what we're doing as well, but um, we, we have, we, we, we're just getting started. Your own experience, how does a virtual classroom differ from a live classroom? Well, the, the biggest and most important factor that I'm concerned about is my own classes have a lot of class discussion. That's a lot harder when you have an online platform because only one person can talk at a time. And, you know, you've got to go through and look at who wants to talk. So it's going to be kind of awkward that way. Uh, I don't want to simply talk. I want to have class discussion. How well can this work? 
I don't know yet. I will be able to tell you in a few weeks. At this point, uh, again, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think it can be done, but obviously some real adjustments are going to have to be made. Could it work the other way as well? I mean, you and I both know that many Hong Kong students are notoriously reluctant to say anything in a um, physical classroom. They feel embarrassed speaking up in front of their classmates. And yep. in, a, in a virtual classroom where, where you, you're not actually seeing each other's faces, they, they, some of them might who didn't speak before might actually feel more willing to join in. That could be. Uh, my classes, people do speak up. Um, I mean, I, I can tell who wants to talk by, you know, how their eyes are looking at me. So I, I regularly you, you do won't be able to do that in an online classroom. I won't be able to do that online. So I, I, I think it will be a less positive educational experience. Now, another side to this you haven't asked about is numbers of MA students in particular have been asking about uh, refunds or asking about uh, some sort of uh, uh, tuition reduction and so on. Um, that makes sense because after all, last semester too, uh, the semester was shortened. Um, I don't think we're going to have to do that, but it's certainly understandable, particularly if a student is paying their own tuition, they might say, hey, I came for a live interaction with teachers, and now I can only have that online. That's not right. Well, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I, I think we can go ahead and do it. Mm. But Mervyn Chen, what's your take on this? I, I mean, because I think at university level or um, extramural kind of people, they're, very, they're more motivated, aren't they, and adults and so on. What about for secondary schools or primary schools? What are the challenges there for distance learning? Um, I think uh, the, situ uh, the situation may, 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 be, uh, may be the same, basically. And I, I don't think that there is a total uh, substitute <coughs> uh, you know, of uh, on online uh, teaching and learning for uh, actual physical uh, classroom teaching and learning. Uh, because the drawback is that uh, the biggest drawback is that there's there's no uh, you know, uh, physical co uh, interactions uh, between the teacher and and the students, and uh, but of course uh, what we are facing is in a uh, you know extraordinary situation, so has to be dealt with uh, in, in, in in a special way, and uh, for for the for the university uh, programs, I I'm not in favor of students. Asking for refund, or you know, uh, for 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 the kind of physical teaching and learning that uh, they miss out, because uh, this is not uh, you know the fault of the of, of the of the universities themselves. And uh, what, what? But but what, but as he, he he mentioned that they're typically like maybe MA students or something like that, and you know it, that's expensive, and they might be paying it themselves because they're adults and so on. Um, you can understand that, can't you? It's an it's an investment for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, but, uh, but I think, uh, you know, some kind of uh, make, make some arrangement, uh, say, as, like a supplementary classes or whatever, can, can be done afterwards. After all, they are keen to get the, uh, the qualification, and of course, uh, they enjoy the, uh, the, the teaching and learning process, uh, you know, uh, uh, due to, uh, you know in, in the course of, the, uh, of the delivering the program. And I think, uh, you know, if they are, they are interested in, in, uh, in the program and want to get the qualification that associated with it, uh, they, they, you know, they should be patient. And then the university may, may be, you know, may, may be, uh, yeah, may be quick to offer some kind of um, <coughs> compensating arrangements in terms of the missing they, they have missed. Uh, oh, yeah, just so sorry. Another another issue that that has been raised as well is um, is teachers. 
uh, well, the teachers can do this uh, remotely or, or working uh, at home. I, I know there are some teachers who are, are unhappy that they've been asked to to uh, come into schools um, when you know they they say they, a lot of this could be done at, at home. And in some schools they do do it at home. In some schools they don't. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that, uh, Mervin? Um, I think um, well. We, we we need to um, work uh, in, in in the best in, uh, educational interests of the students, and and at the same time you know to take care of the um, their the physical health. Uh, so during this period, uh, I, well, we we hope that uh, we we uh, we hope that uh, you know uh, we we all, all educators and government officials you know, uh, must work hard and carefully to safeguard. The students have physical health and educational interests, and uh, and for that matter, the DSE candidates, uh, as well as to ensure in integrity, equity, and quality of the DSE examination. That means that uh, we, well, we, we, well, no matter what, uh, we we should try to minimize the the adverse impact on on students' learning, and also their their preparation for 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 public examinations. So don't. Well, never mind. Even if we are, uh, we need to work at home or, or in in schools. Now, uh, we can't be all the time working at home because uh, lots of facilities, in terms of teaching and learning, are provided in school. Even if you try to pro- uh, to to offer some kind of uh, uh, teaching materials or online, uh, that is the kind of technical support from schools. So. Um, well, it, can be done, uh, it cannot be done all, uh, satisfactorily all the time uh, at home. How likely do you think it is that schools can really reopen in March? I mean, because um, the schools can't reopen until there are enough face masks, I would have thought. And the, the, it's very unlikely there are going to be enough face masks for everybody by early March. Yeah, I think uh, considering the changing nature of the, cor- uh, the novel coronavirus infections, it's, it's very hard to tell at this stage whether or not uh, classes can really resume uh, early in March. So what, what the uh, uh, EDB uh, can and should do is that they keep very close monitoring of the situation on a, day, on a day-to-day basis. And if that, that cannot be done, that is a resumption of classes early in March, uh, they should make an early decision and uh, key announcements and, and also support to schools. Okay, some uh, emails once again. Our address: backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number: two three three eight eight two six six. There's some uh, disputes going on uh, between uh, between correspondents. Uh, Matthew is back responding to Tom. Matthew says in response to my email yesterday, pointing out obvious factual errors in his Facebook post. Backchat correspondent Tom Gundert acknowledged that his facts were indeed hyperbolic or exaggerated. That's good. However, unfortunately, Mr Gundert's response included new hyperbole, claiming he had been doxxed and was subject to hostility, merely as a result of clear factual errors in his public statements via his public Facebook profile being pointed out. That's nonsense. As I've said before, I love Backchat because people with different views can openly interact. I do hope Tom and others with these views continue to share them. However, it's important for the credibility of the programme and their arguments that their points be vaguely rooted in fact and reality. That comes uh, from Matthew. Uh, And... uh 
Drake uh, is back. He says, I hate repeating to everyone who's interested in numbers, particularly Peter today. Uh, Google statistics on passenger traffic. First result would leave you to a page on the immigration department and it's a separate column for mainland travellers. I don't know why they do that. To the guests, the virus is particularly efficient in spreading itself through symptomless carriers and we've already... Uh, and we're already having six, question mark. I lost count. Local infection from unknown sources, all without travel history. So you may be brave to not wear a mask when you're alone. It's not xenophobia to stay away from the crowd or travellers. And yes, always wash your hands and disinfect your smartphones. That comes uh, from uh, Drake. And I, I've just looked up those statistics on passenger traffic. It's very interesting, actually. Yeah, as you said, Google that. Uh, it's very detailed breakdown of uh, all the different control points. Uh, and uh, for the so today they're doing Wednesday, the Wednesday uh, figures. And you can see exactly how many mainland visitors, other visitors and Hong Kong residents have come in and out of the uh, airport and uh, all the other links. So, yeah, the full information is there, which is uh, um, interesting, apart from anything else. Uh, and, uh, OK, this is Toby. So, um uh, Math uh, Gordon Matthews, you might want to respond to this. Toby says, uh, did I hear the academic correctly? He would feel nervous if he were out late at night and came across a black man in the same way he feels nervous when teaching a Mandarin speaker. Disgraceful comments and highly racist. For a man teaching anthropology, he should consider his comments more carefully. That comes from Toby. Professor Matthews? Yeah, um, in fact, you know, I have experienced this myself. Uh, both in South Africa and in the U.S., that if it is 2 a.m. and I am being followed by a white person in a suit and tie, I will be less nervous than if I'm followed by a black person in a hood. Now, am I proud about this feeling? No, absolutely not. On the other hand, this is, in fact, how I do feel. Is this racist? Yes, I think it probably is. On the other hand, statistically, I may be in slightly more danger. So what's important is that in prejudices, you do have this kernel of truth in them. And I'm equating this to dealing with the Mandarin speaker because, again, if I am on campus and somebody is speaking Putonghua, will I be more likely to, spend a, to, to step a little bit further away from them than if if they're speaking Cantonese? Yes, frankly, to a degree. Is that racist? Yes, it is. On the other end, is there a, a tiny grain of logic to this? Yes, there is. So, yes, it's prejudice, but we unfortunately have prejudice often, and it's not based entirely on lies. It, there's a kernel in that. Am I proud of these feelings? No, but they're there. Okay, thanks for, for that honesty. Uh, an email from uh, Tomas. Uh, who uh, says, on back chat this morning, there seems to be some confusion regarding closures of borders. Closure will be tonight, Friday night, or tomorrow on Saturday night, question mark. Regina Ip talked about tonight. You talk about Saturday night. That comes from uh, Tomas. Yeah, there was, there was some confusion. Uh, it, the closure is tonight. Uh, yeah, because some of the press reported um, Saturday midnight. And I think yes. I, 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 well, we, the details still haven't been announced. Um, we'll have to see. I mean, if the government can't actually get all, all, all the, everything arranged by, uh, and there's a lot of logistics in, in place, then maybe they, they'll have to make a change. We'll Including legal issues, which regime well, you need you, Well, you need new legislation. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's subsidiary legislation. They can make it themselves. But, um, uh, yes, you do, you do need legis legislation for this. Can you do that in a matter of days? Come up with Well, let's see whether they... Uh, yes, I mean, they announced uh, they, they, thought, they thought they could. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's, it's very minor legislation. They thought they could, but let's see, because they haven't done it. They said they were going to hold a press conference yesterday with mm. the details, and they didn't. 
Hmm. All right, uh, and number 233-88266. We've got James on the line now. James, good morning. Uh, hi, everybody. It's uh, Jim Middleton from uh, Clear the Air. Um, we've done quite a bit of research on this uh, virus situation. And um, if you take an average uh, surgical three-ply mask, the, the spun-bond fibre will stop uh, droplets which are approximately 300 to 500 nanometers in size. Now, the coronavirus is between 18 and 160 uh, uh, nanometers. So that means... Uh, Can I stop you there? Isn't, isn't the point that the virus is spread in the droplets? So if you stop the droplets, you stop the virus? No, but... That, the, well, let's go to the next step. Uh, yesterday, the WHO issued... Uh, directions on masks and they say if you're healthy you don't need to wear a mask if you if you're caring for somebody or if you you you, you feel sick that's the time to wear a mask um, furthermore if you um, uh, if you try and buy these masks overseas uh, China has forbidden the export India has forbidden the export uh, Taiwan likewise um, Thailand has a production, but they're they're about to forbid the export, and they can only sell for people up to uh, their own use. So the government's been left with uh, thinking they can just go and order, you know, what, whatever million from from the normal sources, and they, they're cut off. But the other thing is the most important thing, especially stressed by uh, epidemiologists around the world, is that you wash your hands. Because the major contagion is when people sneeze and it goes on to, uh, and it stays active for two to three hours on the surface. So if you touch a handrail that somebody's infected, and then you touch your face, uh, a study from Australia showed that you uh, involuntarily touch your face 23 times an hour. Isn't that the point? If you're wearing a mask, you can't touch your face. And in fact, some people will say one of the main effects of masks is it means you'll, you'll no longer touch your face. And they're, therefore, yeah, you'll be much you're safer. You're missing the major point here that the virus can enter through your eyes. OK, well, if you touch your if you touch your, I think people touch their eyes rather less than they might touch other parts of their face. I mean, you, you, if you're wearing a mask, you are protecting a substantial part of your face from being touched by your hands. And if you're saying, The other thing is that when you involuntarily touch your face, your mask is there. You touch the outside of the mask is where, is where the, uh, the droplets are. Anyway, so ba your basic point is you're saying that um, uh, we really shouldn't think so much about wearing masks. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's the WHO advice issued yesterday. Okay, but do you really think, I mean, surely there's partly a product of circumstances. If there were enough masks in the world, everybody would be wearing them. And maybe, yes, maybe they're not that effective, but um, they, they, there's a very a few people, very few people suggest they do more harm than good, even if they're only doing a small amount of good. Everything you can do to help reduce a um, spread of a virus is worth doing. Well, the, the major information, if you check from epidemiology reports from around the world, they say it's a placebo. The effect is a placebo for the wearer. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, just to, just to echo that, this is the World Health, Health Organization website. It says, if you are healthy, you only need to wear a mask if you are taking care of a person with the suspected 2019 NCOV uh, infection. That's what the well, WHO I'm says. So, I'm cleaners... <laughs> or people we travelling on the MTR or logistics workers, so they wouldn't. They use, the the WHO 
says there's no need for them. Well, to I'm wear sorry, masks. I'm going to say Starter. We didn't say that. We didn't. We weren't talking about this when there were enough masks around. It's it's, it's, it's hard to believe it's a coincidence that the fact that we suddenly start talking about how masks aren't really necessary when they're when they're, when they're not a, enough masks around. I'm certainly putting mine back on as soon as this show's over. Okay. Yeah, you... but also the CDC, the CDC in America have advised the same thing, and and major uh, uh, London School of Hygiene. The expert from there says you're better off going having a beer. Save your money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Jim. Jim, just you know, you're right that that is what the WHO says. It says there's only you only need to wear a mask if you're taking care of a person with with 2019. Pretty much what Kerry Lamb said as well. But would you? I mean, if you were travelling on the MTR, if you were cleaning up uh, the streets, wouldn't you want to wear a mask? Myself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh. I don't wear one. You don't wear one. And you wouldn't, no. unless you were actually taking care of someone who you suspected right. had a disease. And basically, if you look at the, um, um, uh, the mortality rate, for example, type A influenza, which is your, your winter influenza, last year 471 people died in Hong Kong from type A influenza, to put it in perspective. In America, they had uh, 19 million uh, type A uh, infections last year, and 10,000 people died. So you have to look at the perspective on this thing. People are going uh, mass mania. It's crazy. Uh, Gordon Matthews, were you, you, you were chuckling in the background? Yeah, uh, just how much social pressure plays a huge role here. Mm. Wearing a mask on the MTR. Medically, do you need this? No, but if everybody else is, I sure as hell will. And some people refer to it as almost a social courtesy, don't they? Exactly, exactly. And the same is true in standing in line. If everybody else is standing in line for these masks, I'd better do it too. So we all are greatly affected by social pressure here. Walking around without a mask on, if everybody else is wearing a mask, you feel like a pariah. But nonetheless... Mm. And other people are going to avoid you as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, well, um, Jim, thank you very much indeed um, for your contribution and your consistency as well. Uh, Andrew F. finally in an email says, to be honest, I think the distance learning aspect should be the least of local university student gripes. I'd be pretty unhappy, to put it mildly, paying for a qualification from an institution like CUHK or UST where some students had to flee fearing their personal safety while faculty members did little to nothing to protect them or even unequivocally condemn the attacks on them. I think degrees from these prestigious institutions have been sadly tainted by the xenophobia that's been allowed and in some cases actively encouraged. That comes uh, from Andrew F. And let's end on a, on a happier note. Uh, Tucci, who uh, was in touch yesterday, says uh, in an email, Oh, you raised my question. I just listened to it on the episode of my podcast. Many thanks. And great pronunciation. It's a Turkish name to pronounce as Tucci. You nailed it. Thanks, Tucci. Well, thank you very much indeed. Thank you to our guests, uh, to uh, Mervyn Chung from the Education Policy Concern Organization and Professor uh, Gordon Matthews from the Chinese University. And Danny, many thanks to you. Uh, joining us once again back on Monday at 8.30. The weather, mainly cloudy, light rain at first and visibility relatively low in some areas. The outlook cool in the morning and sunny periods during the day over the weekend to early next week. 19 degrees now and relative humidity, 83%. The Women's Commission's Capacity Building Mileage Program provides a wide range of courses for women to pursue lifelong learning and self-development. The courses empower women to face life's challenges with a positive mindset. Enrollment for the new semester has commenced. Copies of the prospectus are available at the district offices. 
For program details, please call 2915-2380. the news now with Todd Harding. Mainland health officials have confirmed the death of Dr. Li Wenliang, who was one of the first to raise concerns about the coronavirus outbreak before contracting the infection himself. He was hailed as a hero after authorities accused him of rumour-mongering. Executive Council Member and New People's Party leader Regina Yip has told RTHK that government lawyers are working hard to draft the regulations under which quarantine measures are supposed to be introduced for all travellers from the mainland at midnight. She admitted these should have been done earlier. And Art Basel has called off its annual Hong Kong Fair, the latest major event to fall victim to the coronavirus outbreak. The annual event, one of Asia's leading arts festivals, drew more than 80,000 people to the Convention and Exhibition Centre in Wan Chai last year. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, and not really for cats. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decide of what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning and welcome to Friday here on The Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. I'm going to skip a course this week and begin after 10 with something rather different, but it is plainly something that people are talking about. We're going to talk about the thing that teachers and students across Hong Kong are currently grappling with and having a crash course in. It's, of course, online teaching and learning. You heard the guys mentioning that on Chat just now. Well... I'm going to welcome back, I don't know if you remember, the Park Island pilgrim, Steve Hackman, the fellow who walked the 1,700-kilometre Via Francigena road in Italy. We chatted about his progress every week. Well, he's also my guinea pig today, because Steve's a senior member of staff at a large local school. Join me on Facebook Live after 10. We're going to talk about the pros of cons of e-learning with a demo from Steve. He's going to... We're all connected up, and he's going to give me a lesson online. And have been hearing all sorts of things about this, particularly the habits of shall we say, more mature staff, can't be bothered, it's just too hard. And I want Steve to prove to us that it's actually not. So that's what we're going to do after 10. Facebook Live, Morning Brew is the page as always. After 12, it's movie time with Marshy. He's going to be locking down his final Oscar predictions, reviewing Birds of Prey and Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood and remembering, of course, the Hollywood legend Kirk Douglas. He will be on Facebook Live too. James, that is. So 